Hi everyone, this is Dr. Jarvik, and this is going to be a podcast mostly about Alzheimer's dementia, um, but I am going to talk a little bit about delirium. So um, remember with delirium, this is an acute state, and this person with their confusion, <clears throat> they really shouldn't be having this. And, and with delirium, it's really usually reversible. And so we often see that with new environments, especially with the elderly. So they go, come into the hospital, things aren't the same, and they can be um, a little bit more confused, especially if they're overstimulated. So think of those patients in the ICU with all these alarms and bells going on. They get that alarm fatigue, and they're more likely to have <clears throat> the delirium and that. And they actually call it ICU delirium. <laughs> um, delirium is usually a very rapid onset. And it can occur overnight, literally, patients fine, and then they seem to not be fine. With these patients, they're going to have a hard time um, maintaining attention, the awareness. Um, they can even have hallucinations and delusions. So things we can do to help them, those um, interventions would be decreased stimulation. <clears throat> medications could be causing it. We may need to get medications adjusted. Uh, urinary tract infection is a very common cause especially in our, our elderly. And so once we get those antibiotics on board, lots of times we'll see them improve. From a cognitive um, impairment, <clears throat> think about um, a football player with a traumatic brain injury. And so this person is going to um, be at risk for dementia, that repeated episodes, especially if they've repeated episodes to, to the brain. Um, <clears throat> We'll talk a little bit about um, learning disabilities. Um, remember with learning disabilities, um, this is a person who has above or average intelligence, um, IQ, but they have some challenges in perceiving information, perceiving or processing the information. And so um, we just have to meet their needs with where their, their issues are. Um, now, thinking about Alzheimer's and dementia, <clears throat> Um, remember that uh, Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. So um, dementia is like the big over thing. And then there's some people who actually have Alzheimer's dementia. And so this slowly progresses over time. And during this, we're going to see some slow regression in that client. <clears throat> Um, things that we're going to do for somebody with Alzheimer's is we're going to do um, just a general assessment. So are they alert and oriented? Are they alert and times one, two, three, or four? Um, just conversing with the patient. So when, when I go into a patient's room, I just start talking to them. I'm like, hi, I'm Vicki. I'm going to be your nurse today. Um, how was your night last night? And then I'll ask them some different questions. And based on how they're responding to me, I may ask more probing questions like, <clears throat> can you tell me why you're in the hospital? Uh, what date is it? <coughs> Sorry, guys. I don't know what I have in my throat. Um, now, my husband, he's a nurse also, he always asks the patients, why are they in the hospital, what the date is. You know, with, with COVID now, half the times, I don't know the date, but I can tell you what day of the week it is, usually. I can tell you it's Saturday today. Um, and so I don't <clears throat> consider my patient not oriented if they don't know the actual date. Um, but if they know that it's September and it's 2002, then, and then I figure we're in a good place. Um, or what holidays have happened nearby. <clears throat> um, of course, there are some of those assessments that I've talked about in the other one. 
like the mini mental um, state exam. Um, we do this, this would be considered a secondary prevention. And I know a father, um, <coughs> sorry, my father has noticed some um, mentation dis differences in himself. And he actually had them do a, a baseline on him so they can kind of see how he's progressing. Um, remember that um, with somebody who has Alzheimer's, we don't want to overstimulate them. Um, but on the same hand, we don't want to understimulate them. So we've got to kind of find that happy medium for that patient. We want to make sure that we um, keep that patient safe. So how are we going to do that? Um, some of the ways that we keep a patient safe is to help provide a routine. Uh, the more <clears throat> normal the routine is, um, as far as like waking and bedtime and meals, um, that can help decrease agitation. They are using... Um, CAT scans and MRIs <clears throat> as screenings, although that's not in your textbook. Um, there, they're kind of looking for that atrophy and other things that could be causing it. Um, so, you know, with Alzheimer's dementia, we don't really know uh, what causes it. There may be some genetic factors, environmental, or even viral issues. Um, we generally see some plaques and tangles and degeneration in the brain. And one of the things they don't have is enough acetylcholine. And so acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter that is needed to help make connections. So how we help process things. Um, and the other problem can also be that they have too much glutamate. And glutamate is um, an excitatory neurotransmitter. And so it kind of makes the brain a little hectic. And <clears throat> it ends up causing um, neurotransmitter overstimulation. And that overstimulation can cause neurons to die. And clearly, if a neuron is dead, it's not going to work, right? <clears throat> and there are some medications that help to... Um, make those connections better and to help decrease excitement. I'll talk about those a little bit later. <coughs> On your book, it does talk about some stages of um, Alzheimer's. There's some really nice tables and charts in, the, in your med search book, Iggy. Um, definitely want to look at that. Um, usually in the early dementia, we're going to look at um, patients who have, um, they're, they're usually older than 65. <coughs> Um, with this person, um, they're still independent in their activities of daily living, um, so they still do things on their own, um, but they misplace household items. They have short-term memory loss um, and, and difficulty recalling new information, and, and I'm seeing this in my father some. Um, Subtle changes in personality and behavior, and my mom complains about this with my dad, that um, he's a little bit more argumentative and he doesn't just acquiesce to her all the time. Um, so that could be some of that that we're seeing with him. <clears throat> um, some loss initiative. And so with this, um, there um, can be some... Um, decrease interest in, in doing things. Um, this person may have, may be unable to travel alone to new destinations, but they're okay with those things that they're very familiar with. Um, <clears throat> and they, they may have some, some judgment issues. Um, looking at um, the, the next phase, that middle or moderate stage, and this um, <clears throat> is thought to, um, 
be two to three years for us that that mild phase is up to four years from the first time the symptoms appear. Um, so with this one, the person has some disorientation to time, place, and event. Um, it's very common for somebody with uh, Alzheimer's to have some depression or agitation. Um, is increasingly dependent on activities of daily living, so they're going to need more cues and um, <clears throat> letting people know that they need things. Um, they they could um, be less talkative, have some some speech issues, um, not able to articulate their words very well, and, and we could even see. Um, some trouble sleeping and, and then some wandering. And so, um, of course, wandering um, is going to put the person at risk. And that's going to be one of those things we're really going to be worried about. <clears throat> now, late stages, um, this is where it's that late or severe stage three. Um, this person is completely bedridden, totally dependent on ADLs, um, has loss of mobility and verbal skills, and has agnosia. So agnosia is A-G-N-O-S-I-A. This is loss of that facial recognition. And uh, my parents had a, a, a neighbor that my dad was actually his power of attorney for a while. And when he would go to visit this gentleman, um, there were times that he he couldn't, he didn't know my my dad's name, but he would call him his brother because they were, they were just that close. Um, and then it just finally got to the point where he should know recognition of that my dad was even there. Um, it was really hard for my dad to, to watch um, our neighbor go down so badly. <clears throat> um, so thinking about somebody with Alzheimer's and, and that potential for agitation, we're going to try to do everything but restrain them. So restraints are always a last um, choice. They can often make things worse, make the person more agitated. And we're also going to try to avoid those chemical restraints. So a chemical restraint is when we're giving somebody a, a sedative that makes them sleepy um, to just kind of make them not be <clears throat> um, a harm to themselves. Sometimes patients use those chemical restraints, though, inappropriately, just because the patient is making you go into the room frequently uh, that's not the right way. We should use those chemical restraints only when somebody needs to be sedated, sedated for a procedure or if they're a harm to themselves. So we have to really think of creative ways to keep the patient safe. Um, that can be a sitter. Sometimes it's the family. Um, and then there's a thing that's also called sundown syndrome. And, and this is a real thing. Um, it, it's kind of when this the elderly specifically that kind of as the sun is going down, they start with increased confusion and agitation. And so being a mostly a day shift nurse, you know, the patients would have been sweet and totally fine for me. And then boom, I'm leaving at seven o'clock, 730 in the evening. And it's like a, a light switch has gone off and the patient is completely different and, and night shift has a horrible time with them. And then I come back in the morning and they're fine again for me. Um, so this is a very real thing. And <clears throat> some of the things we had to think about with that is, you know, we really don't want somebody who is, um, whether it's Alzheimer's or sundowning, we don't want them near doors where they could escape. 
Um, we're going to, again, try not to overstimulate them. But remember, um, darkness can, can make that more of an issue. So low-level lighting at night is really important. And in some rooms, you know, when you turn the lights out, there's kind of a built-in nightlight built into the wall. Or sometimes we'll actually use um, the bathroom light and the door partially shut. <clears throat> Um, when somebody is confused, um, we may use reality orientation. And so that's reorienting the patient. So this is good for somebody who's in that early disease. Um, so if somebody is in that early disease and you reorient them, you know, you ask them where they are and they say they're in their apartment and you say, oh no, you're at the hospital and you're here for blah, 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 blah. And so you reorient them. Clearly somebody in the later, um, stages of Alzheimer's, um, reorient them is, is not going to be helpful um, because they're not going to remember it. Um, there's also things called validation therapy. And so what this is, this is acknowledging them being upset. <clears throat> so one of the things I can think about was there was a, a patient at a memory care center and she was in the later stages of Alzheimer's and she did not remember that her daughter had died. <clears throat> and she was in the halls looking really, really upset, looking for her daughter because her daughter was supposed to pick her up. So what you do with validation therapies, you acknowledge them being upset. Oh, I can see that you're upset. And then you would try to get them to help reminisce. So reminiscing is helping them to remember things from the past. So you would ask, tell me about your daughter. What does she look like? So you're actually talking about her daughter who she can remember, but you're not bringing up the death again because then she has to relive that death all over again. You can also just say, tell me about your daughter. What does she like to do? So some of those things that are going to help with um, reminiscing, those are, are good things to do. <clears throat> um, if that talking about the, the family member or whatever the case may be doesn't work, then distraction is really a very helpful technique. So we may redirect them. Hey, let's go to this room where they're doing a craft or whatever is going on. Um, one thing to remember is that if they're wandering in the home or hospital, there are definitely things that we need to, to do to help keep the patient safe. And in your textbook has some nice little uh, charts and that in here talking about that. So make sure you look for those and pay attention to those. All right. Um, so that is... Um, most of the things. Um, I will talk about the medications in the medication podcast. I'll just mention that there's um, some of the medications you should be looking up would be uh, cholinesterase inhibitors such as Donazepril, um, D-O-N-E-P-E-Z-I-L, I may have said that wrong, <clears throat> Rivastigamine, R-I-V-A-S-T-I-G-M-I-N-E, I think I spelled that one right too, and uh, Gladamine, G-A-L-A-T-I, T-A-M-I-N-E. Um, another medication is memetine, M-E-M-A-N-T-I-N-E. -E. Um, <clears throat> and so knowing those medications um, will be important. So if you start looking those up and then when you listen to the podcast, hopefully that will help solidify all of your information. So I hope this was helpful. And if you have any questions, be sure to let me know. Thanks.